We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here, the old man Andreas Hale. And what was, I guess, a calm week for us, right? No traveling, kind of both settling in, me and Bristol, the old man back at home in Vegas after running the streets of LA for a week. But we had a crazy packed week with fights, with pro wrestling, just tons of stuff to talk about when we dive into combat sports here in a second. But as always... Dre, there's some craziness running up and down the timeline, and you're in the middle of it. Somehow, you always get caught in these random conversations. Yeah, what are we talking about? Go ahead. I know you want to bring it up. Yeah, we're we're starting with this Amy Geiger sentencing, (sighs) which, which, and listen, I can't even knock it. Like, you didn't get, you didn't go all the way in on this topic. I think you maybe did two tweets, one Facebook post about yeah. it. But well, I did, yeah, I did a few things. Yeah, yeah. These people find you. You're like a magnet. One person, I don't even know if it was regarding this, but the other day I saw it on your timeline. They were like, you always make it about race. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> like, yo, but you know, what, you know what's crazy is that, that there's only a certain group of people who constantly say you always make it about race. I wonder what racist they look people? like. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm assuming it's racist people. Um, that's the only thing. That's the only people that get bothered by that. So no, so it's crazy. But honestly, let's be real. This shit's about race, and it turned from Monday where we were all genuinely surprised that Amy Geiger was found guilty of murder, 
because it looked like Sunday night there was going to be some shenanigans with like a loophole clause or something that they were going to allow her to claim that she was like standing her ground, kind of like that Florida rule shit. And it came through. People were like, fuck, she's going to get off. No, Monday, she's found guilty. Everyone's like, finally, we got one. Justice is served. And then Wednesday comes around. We're waiting for wrestling to start. We're hyped. Wednesday night wars. And about two hours before the shows start, the decision, the verdict comes down. Ten-year sentence for plain-as-day murder. Parole after five years. So really, she's getting five. Good time served, she's getting four and a quarter for murder. And to take it to the next level, the narrative quickly, which surprised me, it wasn't the narrative of like us and our people and, and normal people talking on Twitter because we were just dumbfounded that she got the light sentence. But the narrative nationally and in publications turned immediately to, well, the guy's family was seen hugging her and they forgive her. And the judge said she doesn't even want her to spend a day in jail. She wants her to get her life on track. The narrative was immediately that this Amy Geiger person is somewhat a victim and she was forgiven. Yeah, so a um, couple things here. One, we'll start with her walking, you know, picture me, black man. I'm not the scariest looking black man. I'm never looking black guy. I don't think I scare people when I walk in the room. There's some white people that I know of scared in the past. But picture me. Pulling up in somebody's house. It's not mine. I think it's mine. Whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> wrong floor. Wrong floor. Different door. Uh, I guess it was supposedly be similar apartment numbers. I put my key in. Key doesn't work. But I found out the door is unlocked. Right there, I should have said, "Am that the right fucking house?" She didn't do that. This is all. This stuff is is really odd to me. She opens the door, finds a black man sitting on the couch eating ice cream. Puts two hot slugs in his chest, kills him. Now, imagine me, a black man, pulling up in the suburbs of Idaho, going into somebody's house. Die, I think it's mine. I guess it's not. Find a white on the couch eating ice cream. I put two hot slugs in the chest and say, my bad. Thought it was the wrong house. They ain't even going to be a fucking trial. I'm dead. The cops are going to pull up, and it's going to be a wrap. Now, this woman was also a cop. Which adds another layer to this shit, which is the, the judge's hug had a lot to do with her being supported by the Dallas police. But she had enough time to lie because she told a lie. Um, I'm a little curious about a key not working because I'm curious how the key even fucking fit if you're in the wrong house. But that's another story in itself. You walk up in this man's house. My man, I, I guess he didn't have the apartment door locked. I know it's in some places it happens. Whatever. But, you know, she pulled up in the house, got scared, uh, supposedly, and shot him and killed him. Now... To me, I wasn't surprised that she was found guilty of something. This was just too egregious for it to just not for her to be let off. My issue was, and I said it when it was when it, uh, it was announced that she was guilty, was sentencing. Because if anybody remembers, Johannes Meserly killed Oscar Grant in cold blood on New Year's Day at a BART station in Oakland and got two years. Shot the man in his back and got two years. Was Made let out for one hell of a movie. Yeah, it was let out in 11 months. So this woman being a cop absolutely has something to do with it. But, you know, the 10 year sentence is disgusting. Now, let's talk about the hugging real quick. This shit is 
Black folks, look, I'm going to say this on the podcast. I didn't want to say it on Twitter because it opens up a can of worms. Religion makes some of y'all extraordinarily weak because you say things like God would want me to forgive her. But a lot of y'all are sinners and a lot of y'all do shit that God doesn't want you to do. Yet and still, I'm not saying this. I'm not casting this upon the brother who forgave her. I'm talking about individuals talking about God says forgive. I don't know if God's talking to all y'all like y'all think he is. And in this particular instance, you know, if, if the brother wants to forgive her, okay, I can't really tell you what to do, right? My family, my father-in-law, as a child, watched his father get killed in cold blood by a white man on his front lawn. And that man did 10 years. And my father-in-law, to this day, is haunted by this because he watched his father get killed. It hits us a little bit differently. Mm. And he's a my father-in-law is a man of God, goes to church like five days a week. He's like, fuck that. I would never, I couldn't do it. So to each his own on the forgiveness tip, especially when it comes to family, maybe you want to forgive. To say that she shouldn't spend a day in jail, mm, you shouldn't have said that. Hugging her in public in front of the cameras, probably shouldn't do that either. The judge is who I have a big problem with. Because who the fuck are you? When was the last time a black man was accused, was, was sentenced for murder even though he pleaded not guilty, said it was an accident, and the judge was like, I'm so sorry you have to go through this. And then the victim's parents were like, or family's like, I'm so sorry you had to do this. And then the bailiff is playing in your hair? Like, look, man, Corey Wise spent 14 years behind bars for a rape he didn't commit. The victim lived. Nobody hugged him. Donald Trump wanted the death penalty for that man. Well, for that boy, I'm sorry. He was 16. He was a boy. Yep. He wanted the death penalty for that boy. Nobody said shit. Nobody gave 14 years. Different states, I understand there are different laws in different states and sentencing and different mandatory minimums and all that shit is different. The issue is just, it's, it's, we're treated differently. And that's why we react differently because, man, once again, it just feels like another cop that got off of killing a black man. And it's disgusting. And if y'all can't get with it, I don't know what the fuck to tell y'all. This is just another instance of a black man dying. Like, forget the brothers. Are like, where is the justice for us? I can never feel comfortable. Like, yo, if a white man walks in my house right now while I'm doing this podcast and shoots me in the chest, he might get off with a light sentence. I couldn't do that shit, dog. I if he walks in your house and you shoot him, you damn near might go to prison for life. Right. Even though the castle, like, you know, there's a castle law that says you can defend your territory, but there'd be some shit made up. Yep. There's just they, they, we're casting aspersions on individuals because of their race, and nobody wants to admit to that. You know, the, the people who are defending the sentence, the people who are saying, "Well, he forgave her." Look, the sentence was already handed down after the forgiveness and the hugs and the bullshit. I'm just tired of black people forgiving white people for bullshit like this. Look, you can forgive people for a lot of things, right? But then, you know, I'm not even saying this had anything necessarily to do with it. But you know, those text messages came out that she was racist. I'm not saying this should have should have done anything with the sentencing. It can't what help. Is, you know, it can't help. So what is what are we doing here? What are, why are we feeling bad for her? Like the whole courtroom sobbing. I'm sobbing for a different reason. I'm sobbing because justice wasn't served. I ain't sobbing because I'm this white girl done killed this black man. Come on. She murdered that man. It's crazy, man. Five Get years for right. murder. Like there's people in jail or in prison to this day for selling weed that got longer. Exactly. And that shit is legal in most states. Five years for murder is bananas. And like you said, like, listen, 
it's the prerogative of the family, right? If they want to forgive her, sure. You know, you feel like, you know, only God can judge her and she's going to be judged at the end of the day off of the intent and it's not for you to judge. And it gives them some peace. All for it. Cool beans. The, I don't want to call them theatrics. The optics afterwards are what troubles me the most. Oh, yeah. The, the hugging. That's like, I can forgive you. I don't necessarily have to hug you. There's there's a different level of somewhat intimacy there. One, I don't know you. Two, you still killed my family member. Like, I, I can't hug you. I can forgive you. But we're not breaking bread. We're not kinfolk. Like, I'm not hugging you at that point. And then above and beyond, the judge where it... And you touched on it. It's not... You're, you're supposed to be impartial. You're the withholder of the law. You're making these judgments based off of what the jury gave you and the facts of the case. And that is how you're supposed to dole out your punishment. You're the voice of the people and what is right and wrong. You hugging the person just found guilty takes that all away. In media, we couldn't do that. You, if we were friends with someone and they just had the worst boxing match ever and we sugarcoated it and said, oh, it'll be okay and all this stuff, we'd lose cre credibility as journalists. Yeah. And this is with someone's life that she's doing this with. That's not okay. And no shit, the family, people can find ways to give a pass. The judge, There's no reason to be hugging a woman who just committed murder. None. I don't care how good or bad you feel for the person. None. You are objective. Arguably, the, ju the jury's supposed to be objective. That's neither here nor there. They're there to be convinced. As a judge, you are objective. You see what's on the paper. You get the decision. You dole out the punishment that justifies. That's justified by the crime. So it's ridiculous to see her hugging that woman. And to me, the whole shit got to... I don't know. The family's obviously over it. I I don't know how you don't say no. You know what? That's not the right decision. We we got to come back in and reconvene. We need a new judge. We need something. Because no way was she objective. And this no, shit but proves here's that. The thing. It, it's, it's election year, dog. So, you know, that judge is trying to keep her seat. She's supported by the Dallas police. There's no, there's no rules that constitute that she can't hug this individual. It's just a gross... Um, it's just disgusting to see. Yeah, like is what it is. There's no, it's the unwritten rules, right? Like we all live by. There's no rules. They say we can't clap on media row. I read the back of the UFC pass all the damn time, but we're not getting up and clapping like idiots. No, I like, mean again, we're not it's, fans it's of fighters. It's it's ridiculous to see, and yeah, and it was a black judge. Not that that has anything to do with it, but still. It's like you can't see both sides. Like, I don't know what that judge is thinking. The guy's mom is in the court. Like, as a black woman, she couldn't imagine someone walking into her home and shooting her son? Like, are you going to hug this woman after? What kind of dumb shit is that? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm mad you brought this up. Ruin my good mood. We don't <laughs> have some, a good week of wrestling. I'm already pissed yeah, off. Yeah, we'll get into the good shit later. We got to start on the bad, though. And it's just, it's it's mind-boggling to me. And then, you, and you were talking about 
and justifiably so, you know what? Sometimes religion makes black folks soft. And, and, and you know what? They use it, not I'd say as a crutch sometimes. No better example than someone using religion and taking advantage of black people's dependency on religion and, you know, just their, their overall trust in religion, right? Like, if something's going bad, we lean on religion. It makes us feel better. It, it gives us a reason to be positive. Cool. Someone who's taking advantage of that right now, your boy Kanye West. Oh, man. One fucking bad, stupid black person to another. <laughs> oh. Kanye West Sunday service. This It was in New York when I was in New York last week. It was in Queens. I did not go. I am not supporting this dumb shit. Now he says he's a gospel rapper. No longer will he do anything else, Dre. He is only a gospel rapper. Mind you, all he's doing is remixing random ass 90s songs into gospel music. People are eating this shit up. You know who did this? Kirk Franklin. But, you know, let's talk about Kanye because, <laughs> listen... The Kanye, like, y'all know I don't like Kanye. Everybody knows I don't like Kanye. I, I don't know him as, as an individual, but the shit he does, I don't fuck with it. But here's the issue. Um, if you want to, you know, go find God, and I know he's a creative, right? Like, that's who he is. He's a creative. But he need, the man needs help. And this just feels like pandering. Like, just feels like the ultimate form of pandering. Because you're not doing these shows and you're donating the money to rebuild churches, you're not donating your tithes. Like you're, you are profiting heavily off of people's religious beliefs. So with this Jesus is King album, since you believe in God so much, none of the money you make off of it, or maybe a huge amount of the money you make off of it, since you believe in God, should go to God. But it's not going to happen like that because that's how who Kanye is. No. And this whole this whole thing about you know I'm not making secular music anymore. I'm only making gospel. All right, cool. Let's see this album flop. Or let's just, you know, you might have a a, a change of a strategy because that's what I feel this is, is a strategy. This doesn't feel genuine because if it was genuine, I just don't think it would play out like it would. Now, I also feel like, you know, if if Kanye has issues, which we all think he does, mental somewhere in there, not the ones that he's presenting to us, but something deeper. Um, he I, I kind of feel like the man needs to get out of the spotlight. You know, if there's something really going on that's wrong, being with it. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be with Kim if he loves her, but if you're being with, with somebody who's an attention whore and you're an attention whore, two attention whores like playing out their lives in public is not going to ever make anything better. They're match so, made in heaven. Or hell. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, good one. Um, <laughs> but it's just, you know, this Jesus is King album, like people were, it's, it's crazy because this Jesus is King album is I guess is going to come out. I mean, or we could put it up there with Yandi, Watch the Throne 2, and a bunch of other shit. Uh, what was it? Uh, Graduation, whatever the fuck it was called. All the albums that Kanye never put out. But people were up waiting for this album to drop. Now, look, I get it. You know, if you're in the music industry, yeah, you want to see it. If you're, if you're a Kanye fan musically, I get it. But here, I'm going back to this whole cancel culture thing because y'all were like so pissed off when Kanye said, you know, slavery was a choice and was supporting Candace Owens. And then, like, I looked at the crowd of some of these things that were people taking video, and it was, like, either a ton of white people or these smatterings of black people, like, that are involved. And I'm just like, man, y'all are weak as fuck. And it, that's when you talk about the religion thing, because it's like the the forgiveness of the, the shooter in the courtroom is indicative of how we treat uh, white privilege and white guilt. Because the optics, like you said, of 
the victim being embraced by the judge, having her hair stroked by the bailiff and being hugged by the victim's brother is basically, it just looks like we're as a culture are forgiving white people for doing us wrong again. And now we have Kanye who kind of feels like a traitor in some ways because of the things that he did with Trump and Candace Owens and all that shit. And because he's using God, people are like, oh, well, I guess he's cool again. That shit is crazy, man. See, the key, the key point, and you said it right, he is using God. Like, and full disclosure, this is why I don't go to church. I am a, I believe in faith. I have my faith. My family is very religious and Catholic and all this stuff. I am not going to church because I've been to churches and I've seen people use God and religion for monetary purposes and then also just for control purposes. Just to feel, I don't know, maybe empowered to have a congregation that listens to them as they preach the word, but they don't live by said word. So it's all very hypocritical. And Kanye is just the latest to realize, you know what? Yes, there's money to be had in this. And he's tried, like, it's not like he's just a random dude who flips, you know, turns around and says, you know, I found God. Kind of like Malice from the clips, right? It looks like he honestly found God. He ain't coming back. He ain't using it. He does some gospel rap, I guess. But he's a rapper, sure. He, now he raps about gospel stuff. Not selling drugs anymore. Cool beans. Kanye has flipped to like four different cultures, four different distinct crews to sell his music and to just make money. He was MAGA until that shit stopped making him money. He was used as a pawn. It stopped making him money. Cool. What's next? Now religion. Until it stops making him money. And it's it's crazy, but people fall for it time and time and time again. And I'm done with the cancel culture shit. No one's canceling anything. I don't even want to hear it anymore. Like, you can say and do whatever you want at this point. Because people aren't going to stick by that shit. No one's getting canceled. No. And and look, if you are a religious person that's this podcast, you go to church. Look, I have a lot of friends who go to church. I'm not casting any um, judgment on you for doing so but oh, I'm casting judgment ups. on those yeah. who use this as a tool to take advantage of people some of y'all see right through it like I know some people that see this Jesus the King nonsense man get the fuck out of here um, <laughs> but there's others that you know are being taken advantage of so you know whatever man y'all, it's it's whack yeah MAGA some good stuff please no good. no of course not you, I mean I feel like we, we still have to wallow in in what is now our culture uh, the other thing, honestly, is just one more thing, and it tied into Kanye, and it was funny. Before we do talk about pro wrestling and some good stuff, uh, you see Stacey Dash get arrested. Oh, well, see, this is funny. This, this shit's bad. funny. This yeah, is... it's not bad. It's, it's funny. This is funny. I mean, she beat up her boyfriend or whoever. Her and, husband, you know, I think. Yo, her mugshot, she's, she's looking busted. I hope she is broke. She's another yeah. one who who tried to sell out for the money. And it went horribly wrong. I mean, Doug, I'll tell you this. I don't even know if Stacey Dash is a sellout. That just might be who she is. That's very true. <laughs> that's, that's very true. It, it's very possible that Stacey Dash has just always been that. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, she got caught up in some nonsense. You know, see if Fox News comes saves their ass now. Hell no. No, no. They're just, listen, Candace Owens is the, the flavor of the month. Wait, did Stacey Dash beat up a white man? I'm curious. 
oh, of course her husband's white. I don't even got to look the dude up. Like, <laughs> I just want to see. I'm you think Stacey Dash is married to a black man? Hell I, I, no. I just wanted to bring that up because it, I, I'm very curious about, you know, how this is viewed by the right. Because this is like one of your heroes. This dude's name is Jeffrey Marty. Is She's been married four times. I mean. Yes, he is, he is a white man who I believe is some type of politician, it looks like. Of course he is. Yes, and uh, yeah, she beat that. It, yo, this picture she's wearing, she has green contacts. I'm out of here. Hmm. <laughs> she, she's wearing green contacts. What is this, 2001? Oh, God. You know, I yeah. thought Stacey's dancer's eyes were always green. No, her eyes are brown. There's a clear mug shot. I don't know. Maybe the close-up, they look green. This other joint is crazy. Like, it's clear that she has fake contacts in. Well, you know. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know, man. Just take me. I, can we take me back to the All Falls Down video with Kanye? No. What no, happened no, with that Kanye no, no, no. and that Stacey Dash? How dope was that video? Yeah. Now how you feel? <sighs> Gross. Yeah. <laughs> no, he can't go back and say it's disgusting now. I mean, it is what it is now, but ugh. It's like watching Hogan. It's like you watch Hogan and you be like, damn, man, I used to cheer for you. <laughs> no, that's true. It is like watching Hogan where you're just like, you know what? I can't believe you hoodwinked me. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. So that was that was funny, and I feel like I just had to bring that up. Stacy Dash gets arrested. Twenty nineteen is some shit. Some wild stuff happening in twenty nineteen. Um, no, like you said though, let's get let's get to the good stuff, and that is the quote unquote Wednesday night wars, and that's where we're kicking it off. It just happened, uh, what a day ago. Both well, AW is debuting on TNT. NXT is their third week, first two hour show on USA. And we have, I mean, by all metrics, a very successful night in pro wrestling. The numbers are coming out on AEW. They believe they did 1.4. 1. 1.8. They're doing, the, the rating is at 1.8. 1.8, which is crazy. That's SmackDown numbers. That is the highest um, premiere in five years for TNT. So that is great. NXT did half of that at just under nine. But, again, NXT has been on there for three weeks. Um, people say what they want. They wanted to jump on AEW. You know, it was something about AEW premiering, and we've had NXT on TV. You know, like, if NXT was debuting, I think they would have done a higher number. They probably, I mean, their first week, what? They were 1.2, 1.3 on their yeah. first week. So, I mean, they probably would have done even more, like a 1.5. It would have been 1.8, 1.5. So, People were acting like, oh, uh, NXT got crushed. Yeah, but this is their third week. So their first week numbers, they were all right. And it's great, though. Again, we don't have to. It's the Wednesday Night Wars. We don't have to continuously compare the two in a negative way. We can compare them in positive ways. They were both really good shows. Definitely. Both Definitely. did really good numbers. Like, I... I really like what Wednesday has for pro wrestling, so much so that I'm starting to not give a fuck about Mondays and Fridays. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this, and I said this on Twitter, anybody follow me saw it. Like, when the, when the Monday Night Wars were happening, um, me and my boys would watch every Monday night flipping back and forth, right? And there was never, there was never a time where either of us, well, me and Ramon, who was like my good buddy, was, we, there was never a time where we were like, 
oh man, WWE is better than WCW. Like it was not like a war. We were just generally intrigued going back and forth because it was exciting because mm-hmm. you didn't want to miss anything. You know, you didn't want to miss who had the better main event. So you were excited to go back and forth. So I never picked a side until WCW started becoming trash. But I didn't pick a side before that. I just enjoyed both shows for what they were. A lot of y'all should do the same. Instead of going into this going, well, AEW's this and AEW's that or NXT is this and NXT is that, just watch the fucking shows and, and enjoy it. I don't know what's so hard about that shit. Like, it, It's very hard for point. people. Like, People feel like... And that's with everything, right? That's like, yo, I hate mainstream hip-hop. I, I need underground hip-hop. And they pick an underground artist. And then when that artist becomes mainstream, oh, I can't stand that. They sold out or oh, they're not cool anymore. Like, AEW is that. They're underground. They're the nice, shiny new toy. But sooner or later, they don't book themselves like an underground promotion. Like, they're going to be legit. They're going to be mainstream. They are. And they did one hell of a job with promo. Those commercials were everywhere, including on Monday Night Raw. Yeah. For weeks, um, they they did great placement for the wrestling product. So I expect it to stay in the 1.2, 1.1 range now. Are they going to do 1.8 every week? Probably not. But they don't have to. They yeah, don't. It's, it's, it's you, one of those things um, where, obviously, you know, people look at these numbers, but anything that premieres is always usually pops the highest rating. It's either the premiere and the season finale. Wrestling doesn't really have a season finale, so it's always going to be the so-called premiere. And this was the debut of AEW. So 1.8 number is huge. Um, I will say this, that NXT's attempt to counter-program, while it was a fantastic show on NXT, I don't know if it necessarily went the way that they thought it would. Because they really stacked the deck for NXT this week to counter-program AEW. And, they, and, I, and, and, the, and the reason why I say this is I don't think they had to. I don't think NXT needed to have three title matches to counter-program AEW. I think people were just going to watch it anyway. Because yep. you can't do that shit any, every week. But Teacher Zone, that's what they did. I just think both shows were great. Um, I got a chance to flip back. You know, I had them on split screen. I have a, I have a, a directory TV. You have picture, not picture in picture, but I have side by side. My TV's big enough where I could watch them both very clearly. And I watched both shows. And there were great things that happened on both shows. There were things that were a little shaky on both shows. But, I mean, everything's not going to be a home run. Everything's not going to be Tokyo Dome or WrestleMania. It's, they're all going to have their ups and downs. And I think as a wrestling fan, you should really soak it in and just enjoy it. See, what's crazy is that people say like, oh, well, NXT, they did all these to counter-program. I don't think they did. No, it's they just, did. No, it's a big week <laughs> at the WWE. So, AEW, regardless, this is season premiere week. Being in television, this is the first week that ratings count. This is the first week of sweeps. There's a reason why AEW debuted this week. There's a reason why Fox is going to television this week. So, that being said, with NXT, there is a reason they try to stack this card. It's because this is the beginning of sweeps, and nothing you do before sweeps or in between sweeps periods matters at all. They only judge you for as far as getting sponsors and getting television ad revenue and all that stuff from what you do during sweeps. And they stacked it for sweeps. Now, it just so happens that everyone stacks it. But that's like saying, oh, well, 
ABC has Big Bang Theory, or whatever the fuck, or CBS has Big Bang Theory, but ABC has this sitcom, and they, they did that to counteract Big Bang Theory. No, they did it because it sweeps. Everyone puts out their best foot forward the first week of sweeps, and that's what NXT did. That's just that's the nature of having a television product, which we'll see more, and they'll here's start stacking I, these sweeps periods. Here's why I disagree with you. They knew what they were doing to counter program. Why? Because they chose to air on Wednesday nights. They always air on Wednesday. I, I, they chose to go to network television on Wednesday nights, and they tried to do it two weeks in advance to get a leg up on AEW. To, to suggest this had nothing to do with what AEW was, is, was doing is ridiculous. And I'd they, argue they would be better if they debuted the same night. They would have, but this is their plan was. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if their plan worked the way that they wanted to. They tried to get in a, a jump on, on AEW by having that one hour for those past two weeks. That's a direct, that's a direct reaction to AEW. That had, if AEW wasn't on TV, do you think NXT would have been doing this two weeks in advance? I don't think so. No, they probably should have just played it as is. Debut they, when all other TV shows debut. Exactly. That, and that's what I'm saying. It was reactionary to that, and they didn't have to. They didn't have to make it so obvious that they were counter-programming AEW Dynamite. They didn't have to. And then they send out like a courteous, like, hey, good job, guys, email. That, that, and, and, you know, that sounds like that sounds like me getting ahead of getting beat and being like, good job, guys, before everybody else says it, because they saw the ratings before everybody else. If you look at the timing of the release, mm. it was like, yeah, good job. But they don't, they don't have to do that. NXT is a great fucking program. You, you know what's crazy is that, and this is what I told people from Jump, one, AEW is competing with NXT. Two, NXT is chasing AEW. This yeah. is monetarily, not quality-wise, but monetarily the WWE's third brand. So when it for comes now. to doling, when it comes forever, when it comes to mm. doling out resources. Be careful. When it comes to getting the money from Saudi Arabia and from Fox and saying we're going to allocate these funds between brands. We are going to give them to Fox and SmackDown first. Now, we're going to give them to Raw second because that is a flagship. And then we will give more funds than NXT has ever had, but third in the company to NXT. So WWE is competing with AEW with their third brand financially. For now. Like, so this, that's the thing, though. That's the interesting thing about this. With this Wednesday Night War, I think we can all agree that NXT is probably going to end up pulling a bigger number than Raw because of this war. No. Okay. You think in the long run? It could. It could because, I, it could because yes, AEW might propel them up a little bit, but I don't think AEW is going to pull Raw numbers, hence they're not going to catapult NXT above them. So Here's what, no. here's what I'm saying. Raw would have to drop drastically, man. Raw does 2.3. What was Raw's rating in the past couple of weeks? 2.3. Was it 2.3 last week? Uh, not, not, this, not this past week. I'm talking about the previous weeks. Let's see. Monday night. Well, the other one was like the Stone Cold Steve Austin MSG one. So, yeah, that was high. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not talking about the premiere because the premiere pulled their highest ratings in a long-ass time. I'm talking about this low these past few weeks when Monday Night Football started. That's the key. You got to deal with Monday Night Football. No, that's like, true, but I mean, they're, again, yearly program. I think their lowest show is like 2.1, 2.2, and that's average. So you look like AEW did 1.8 on their best. Like, they're going to pull 1.4s. They're not going to match Raw. 
There's still seven. The distance between NXT and AEW is the exact distance between AEW and Raw. So they're not that close. Like it's, I'm, I'm saying AEW is run. as close to the third brand on WWE as they are to the flagship program. I'm saying in the long run, because I'm interested in seeing what happens. Let's just say that AEW starts crushing NXT. Just let's just say it happens. It's not like the W. I don't think the WWE is going to pull away resources from NXT. I think they'll start feeding more resources to NXT, which in turn, because we all know NXT is a better quality wrestling product. Monday Night Raw has the name. SmackDown is on Fox, but the quality of wrestling is going to be on NXT. Oh, yeah. So I don't. I'm not sure. Like, this is why I was get concerned. Like, maybe Vince is going to step in because they don't want their product to get beat. So I'm curious. I'm I'm curious. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm curious. Does do you start pooling in more resources to try to beat AEW? Because if AEW continues to put on great shows, and that's the other part of the equation, AEW has to put on great shows weekly to keep the momentum up and selling out buildings and so on and so forth. But if they do that, and, and NXT finds themselves behind. Does Vince McMahon grab his nuts and say, you know what, put everything over here? Because Monday Night Raw is going to compete with Monday Night Football for the entirety of the season. That's just going to be the way it is. And so losing to Monday Night Football, you're like, eh, all right, fine. We lost Monday Night Football. SmackDown is not competing against anything but Friday night. And whoever the hell is home on Friday nights to watch SmackDown. We'll see how that works in the next two months. But NXT has a direct competitor in the same time slot, which is AEW. And if you're competitive, I don't think you want your brand to lose. So I'm, I'm just wondering, how far do they go with this? Or do you back off and be like, well, fuck it, we just lost this one? Yeah, I, I think they just think, you know what? This brand is, they want that brand to chase their third brand. Because it makes them feel as though they're not chasing their main brand. How about that? Like, you're not, honestly, if we're saying AEW's competing with WWE, let's total all three ratings from all three shows. Like, so it was 2.7 from Raw. Uh, you got 0.9 from NXT. That's 3.6 already without SmackDown debuting. Let's give SmackDown because it's on regular TV and it's a debut 3.1. So you're crazy numbers already. 2.7, that's 5.1, that's 6.0. That is a 6 rating compared to 1.8. You're not competing with the WWE. They have three shows pulling numbers. Well, of course. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, that's obvious. They have they have a lot more real estate. I'm just again, I'm just curious. A one point eight is huge for a show that's debuting, and now it's like and all right. Kudos well, to them. What a great job marketing and you know, whether it was social media, whether it was on television, they put a lot of money. And this is another thing, casual or maybe just like a lot of the fanboys. Because there are, there's AEW fanboys in media and normally out there that don't understand what goes into popping a 1.8 rating. And a lot of money went behind that. Of course. It's no different than like in hip hop, you'd be like, wow, this artist came out of nowhere. No, they paid a lot of money to get them radio spins, to get them placements, to give them budgets for videos, all this stuff. There was a lot of money put into AEW and they spent a lot. To pop that 1.8 rating. Now, it's worth it. Because people, including myself, thought they'd do like 700, 800. So all the money they put in, well worth it. It popped the rating. But now, you're not going to spend that money on a consistent basis. You're going to come back to the norm. And that will still be wildly successful. 
but they did a great job making sure they felt like a big thing this first week. Yeah, so let's talk about these shows, man, because, I mean, all right, first of all, no, nah, we'll talk about Raw later. This is not important. Um, yeah, we'll we, talk, we got that for later. <laughs> I, I mean, again, as, as, as we'll start with NXT because I thought they did a fantastic job with their show. Um, I feel like the best, the best match out of all the shows was Colin Riddle. Colin Riddle was fantastic. Um, I agree. I, thought, I, I believe that was the best match because it was a sprint from start to finish. It, I mean, it was great. And it's a testament to Adam Cole because Adam Cole is – he. I, I was never sure about Adam Cole when he was in Ring of Honor. Like, I was never really sure how he would do if he went over to the WWE. And his adjustment has been great. I mean, he, he, he's working. He's always worked hard. Um, he's found – I mean, his catchphrase is fucking amazing. And, and now, he's, you know, every match that he has is, like, top shelf. And, it, again, credit to Matt Riddle, a guy that we all know is going to be a star, got beat clean. But, man, hell of a match. Yeah. Hell of a damn match. Doesn't weaken him at all to be beat clean. That that as long as you put on good matches, cool. He got beat clean, no harm, no foul. So I, no. I like that. Um man, they I don't know if they had a bad match all night. Um, no. I mean, even the Eosurai Mia Yim uh, match, even though it felt long to me, but I didn't get a good eye on it because I, I can't remember what was going on, on the on the other channel. <laughs> um but it but it was still a good match. I was still watching it, you know, you know, like Io Shirai Mark. But uh, I thought that was great. I mean, I don't have too many concerns about the night. Uh, you know, the Candice LeRae, Shayna Baszler is the only concern I have is, you know, Shayna won again. Yeah. Um, Which I'm sure they're setting it up for maybe a pay-per-view. Like, it's the beginning of the feud. So, cool. Yes. Uh, my biggest criticism, which is also a praise to NXT, was the return of Finn Balor. Because I feel like Finn Balor is right at home on NXT. Yep. And there is, with the rosters being as stacked as they are on Raw and SmackDown, he can get lost in the shuffle. My, my problem with this is you have a guy who was your first Universal Champion, um, who had a great character, who seemed, seemed destined for great things. He's getting moved to NXT. We're not going to call it the C brand or anything like that. That's not what it, my no. issue is. And it's not a demotion. My, no, it's not. My issue is that you bringing Balor over means you're taking the spot of somebody else that could probably be in the title picture. And that's my concern. And it's not a huge one. It's because I want to see how it plays out. And I just hope it doesn't open the floodgates for like a ton of guys to move over. I think guys like Balor and even Nakamura would benefit from going back to NXT. But I just don't want to see like everybody coming back to NXT. I don't want to see a lot of movement. And it also leads me to the question of, is NXT involved in the draft? Because they just got Balor. What does this mean? So I'm a little I'm curious. I just don't want to see guys like Keith Lee or, I mean, they showed Damian Priest this past week. I mean, we got Ciampa get back in the fold, which was a fucking amazing way to close the show. And intelligently done because they, they close the show 15 minutes after AEW to make sure they catch the fallout of people turning the channel and seeing Ciampa on their television. Oh, but yeah. it's like, I, perfect. I want to see... Keith Lee, Dajakovic, you know, guys like Cameron Grimes, ACH, whatever they call him now. I want to see all those. Swerve. I want to see all Miles those guys. Miles Jordan, I think, is his name now. So I want to see those guys get opportunity. And I feel like if you're moving too much WWE main roster, I don't even call him main roster. Raw or SmackDown talent over to NXT, you might be clogging the pipeline yeah. a little bit. But already I like what they announced for next week. So next week we have the newly dubbed 
Cruiserweight, NXT Cruiserweight Championship, which is where it should have been from the start. Um, we have that match between Gulak and who else? Leo Rush, which is dope. Yep. Leo should take that belt. Tons of personality. They need someone with personality to carry it as a heel. That'd be great. And then we also have uh, Walter versus Kushida. Kushida. Kushida's going to die. I'm fine. Which is great. That's amazing. Big guy. Like Now they're using NXT UK talent with their champion over. And Walter is a big deal. So they're pooling all their resources for NXT, including some guys coming down from the main roster. So I expect to see maybe the fashion police out there in the tag team scene. They don't have to be major players. But yeah, expect them to be in the tag team scene. Uh, maybe we get Apollo Crews coming down. Get some good feuds. Just get some good work in. Because kind of having that in full sale every week, a lot of these guys who came through NXT still live in Orlando. This is a good way to give them a break from the road without having an actual break, if that makes sense. So Finn Balor went off TV. But instead of doing that next time, or even this time, it's like, okay, Finn, we're not going to give you five months off to recoup and, you know, rest your body. But we'll do, we'll give you a month and a half off. Then you go to NXT for three or four months. And you, you get a takeover, you get two major feuds, maybe one major feud, and you're good. And you're reset and ready to go by WrestleMania season. We pull you back up into a good angle. See, I don't think he's going back. I don't think he'll be back up for a second. Maybe next year, SummerSlam. I don't. I don't think if Balor were to come back, I think it would be through the draft. I think. I mean, okay. I'll say it like this. I think if you're going to commit to these rosters, commit to these rosters. Don't float around, guys. If you implement the wild card rule, I don't know what I'm watching anymore, and I won't care. Yeah, and I don't NXT, think it has to be a wild card rule. I just think like sooner or later you have to do a Finn Balor's back on the main roster pop. I don't. I really don't. I, I think if because here's the other thing. Takeover's been great. I'm getting a little antsy if they're going to start upping the takeovers. I hope not. Yeah. Um, when they announce next year's pay-per-view schedule, maybe they add a few. I hope they don't. I don't think but, so. I think they add matches before they add takeovers. But if you're, if you're moving guys from Raw and SmackDown to NXT um, to play a major role, I, don't move them back. Don't move them back unless they're drafted or unless something major needs to happen. I don't need, I need guys. I'm fair with that. Roster. Stay for a year. Just stay. Yeah, put in the year and then go back in the draft. Cool. Then move down someone else who's stale. Maybe a Sami Zayn. Maybe a Cesaro yeah. for a year. Like you said, a Nakamura for a year. That's dope. I mean, anything. You keep using the word down. I'm, I, I'm not going to use down. Move anymore. over. Sorry. Move over yeah. these talents for a year. And, you know, make it fluid. And you know what? You say, you know, I, I'm, moving over guy, I'm moving guys over there to really wrestle. How about that? They're yeah. moving over there because the match quality is higher and is not necessarily sports entertainment. And then we'll give some guys like the Street Profits an opportunity to sports entertain over here. Yeah. I'm, see, I'm totally fine with that. I just don't want to see guys just getting shuffled around. I don't want to see the wild card rule. None of that shit. No, that has to go. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the draft, which comes up, uh, man, what, tomorrow for us recording this? But where, no, where no, they're actually it? doing the draft in Vegas. So I'll be at the draft out here in Vegas on SmackDown. They're not doing a draft tomorrow. They're doing uh, Monday Night Raw starts it. Raw starts the draft. In Ve- Raw's in Vegas? No, SmackDown's in Vegas. So the conclusion of the draft will be in Vegas. Oh, well, I'll be. So this is the premiere, and then Raw starts the draft, and SmackDown finishes it. 
Yep, after the pay-per-view. Oh, well, that makes sense. You don't want to do it before the pay-per-view. So tomorrow's kind of like the go-home show. So Hell in a Cell is really the true reset on everything. Allegedly. Allegedly. Let's talk about that in a second. So let's talk about AEW. And what did you think of that show? I thought it was also very good. Um, You know what? I, I think they have less things to clean up than I originally thought they would. Like, technically, you know? I, I thought technically they might be a little iffy. Nah, they hit the ground running. Technical aspects I thought were clean. It was nice. They had some fire, some pyro. Like, everything was really good on that end. Um, but, again, it's not not to discredit them. I think they're doing a fine job. What I hear from other people, and one tweet I saw come across your timeline was, I don't know if NXT can keep up this for week every week. And AEW put out a show that I feel like they can do every week. I'm like, oh, really? Because to me, there's still a lot of nostalgia. And building off of that, so you, you have the spot that went horribly wrong with uh, Jay and Silent Bob. You're not going to do that every week, thankfully. But Siobhan mentioned you know, WCW several times and all, cool, like, all right, they can't do that every week. And then, of course, they had the main pop with someone coming back and debuting, which is Jack Swagger or Jake, whatever the hell his name is, um, at the end, which is cool, but you're not going to have people debuting every week. So we saw the meat and potatoes of their roster this week. We did. Outside of Sammy Gravera or whatever, we saw the meat and potatoes. They put out their best of the best of their roster this week. I don't think they did. What? That shit's getting dangerously thin here in a second. Cause Dude, as Orange, good as, Cassidy did, Orange Cassidy didn't wrestle. Darby Allen did. Because Orange Cassidy isn't a great wrestler, but he's a great character. But continue. Darby Allen's Darby, still not a great wrestler. Darby Allen didn't wrestle. Best Friends didn't wrestle. Uh, Private Party didn't wrestle. Uh, Dark Order didn't wrestle. Dark Order has uh, been great. Sure. I'm just saying. I'm saying they not the, all the best of their best. I no, mean, but that no, the best of their best wrestled. No, and I mean, I'll give dude, it to you. These Moxie kids have talent. Moxie, Moxie didn't, didn't wrestle, wrestle, but he was there. They paraded their best. He had a major segment. Mm, the rest of these it. guys you're naming are very developmental. But but here's my point. My point, like you're saying that they they can't do this show every week. Wanna why? Because there wasn't a lot of stakes on the line in these matches. Jericho wrestled in a six man tag. They can do that any time. Yes, like, but again... NXT, NXT the, can't do a show with three title matches on it every week. No, but these guys aren't going to be able to put... You know, we had two segments with LAX. Two Jericho segments. Like, sooner or later, you're going to have to put the other talent on screen, and they're going to be very raw. I don't I don't know. Like, I, I so. don't... I don't... Like, I see... I think they could do this every week. Like, some guys don't have to wrestle every week. Moxley will have a match probably next week. Pac may have a match. Adam Page may have a match. You have the Bucks. You have, you have again. You have the tag team tournament. You still have a, a bunch of women who haven't been seen yet. Brit and those Baker women are wrestle. very green. Britt Baker's not really green. She's pretty. She's actually pretty good. She's very good. Television green. Everyone on that roster is television green, except for the people they paraded this week. Everyone but, they had on TV this week: TNA, XWWE. And when you say green, what do you what do you mean a, by green? Green as in these guys are fresh from the indies and you're putting them on live television. What does that mean? They're still wrestling. 
These it's guys a, wrestle for a living. Oh, Dre, you know that this shit is more than wrestling at that point. Well, no, but I'm but their product, with the exception of the Jay and Silent Bob thing, which went was bad. Yes. Their product, but their product was mostly wrestling. And those guys wrestle. That's false. If you look after the first 45 minutes, there was two matches in the last hour. Hour what was 15. It, what talking did you see? Uh, you saw the SEU. Uh, Lucha Bros didn't wrestle. SEU didn't wrestle. Okay. You're saying everybody put their first foot forward, but they clearly didn't. But you're saying that these guys are green and they, there's these. But what was going on that they would, that this talent would be exposed? Because the talkers are still going to carry. The talkers are still going to carry the show when it, when when the, you, you can't have Tokyo Dome every night. So you're going to have segments, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have Cody talking. You're going to have interactions. You're going to have those things. But I don't think you're putting Darby Allen in an interactive segment. You're going to put Darby Allen in the ring. And you're going to let him go. And maybe you do put Darby Allen in front of the camera. Look, NXT doesn't have the greatest talkers either. But it works because they wrestle. So I don't think the green thing would only be a problem if you put them on Raw or SmackDown where it's really sports entertainment. I, I don't know. At this point, you're all a – it's a weekly television show. You're all a little sports entertainment. Now, it's, it's not your bread and butter, but you have – this – this is what it takes to have a weekly television show. TNA found that shit out too. That Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, they, they had a great, I mean, Kurt Angle when he was Perk Angle. In ring, that shit was stacked. But, so a lot of those storylines are corny. They, I mean, they had Okada, they had Jay Lethal, they had some of the best wrestlers in the world early. The Bucks, and that shit fell flat. Why? Because they were green. It wasn't because they were green. It was because they had fucking Dixie Carter. It wasn't because the talent was green. That's false. The talent, it had nothing to do right. with the talent. A lot, a lot of these guys are really inexperienced, right? And that shit is going to show. Dude. Especially it's where? It's that's going what I'm to saying. show. Where is it going to show? The only thing that's going to be exposed is if they decide to allow them to talk for an hour. That's no, when the no, shit is going to get exposed. Never happened. Never happened. But I'm just saying that's how you're going to expose him. If it's a two-hour show, which can remain relatively tight with commercial breaks. Yeah. Obviously, NXT and AEW had little. They had less commercial breaks than they normally would have. So you, yeah, you're going to get a match that runs a little bit longer than usual. You may have some tape segments involved as well. But if they start veering, and here's where I will agree with you. If they start veering into the promo territory a lot, and you start looking like Raw and SmackDown, then your talent gets exposed. But if they're wrestling, and then you have like little vignettes in between, they I can just, get away with this kind of a show. Yeah, it's, I just don't know how long they can lean on former TNA, former WWE talent without really giving these young kids a break. I mean, outside of MJF, I well, don't. Who do they? Who do they use? It was just it was just Jake Hager at the end. Who else did they use? that was former anything. LAX. LAX, LAX is, is their former, talent. That's their, that's their talent. I understand that. But that doesn't take away that they aren't guys that you plucked from the indies that have to come in and now produce. The first show was all guys who have weekly television experience. Really? Brandon Cutler does? No, Cutler and MJF, Sam, they threw Sammy, a bone Sammy Guevara does? No, he was, he was in there with Cody, right. so yes. Okay. Which, which is smart. Does? You know Nyla what? Rose does? Rio does? Which, no, which, they had a fantastic match. I'm just oddly saying. enough, they did have a fantastic match. A lot of bat botches, like three or four. Didn't bother me at all. That match was great. Um, yeah, I mean, once again, Who's so they weekly? stepped up. So that's great. Who's weekly? What do you mean? 
I mean, who's like used to this? Like you said, you know, these you got really green talent, but you got guys like who's used to this? Say, okay, who? Cody's like the only one that's really been on Cody, television. Cody, Jericho. Okay, two. Young Bucks, done it. Young Bucks were never on really on a weekly, unless you talk about Generation Me with Impact. They weren't really on a weekly. ROH was a week. Or, but I guess that was taped. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. but the Bucks, then you have, uh, hold on, I forgot who else was in the main event outside of Swag. Oh, Ambrose, of course, Moxley. So you have Moxley, who didn't wrestle, but okay. Kenny Omega hasn't done it. Kenny's a veteran, so I guess that was weird. I mean, Kenny talking is still very awkward to me, but sure. Um, and then that was it. But who else was prayed? And then you had Nyla Rose and Rio, which was a great match. And then you had MJF segment. And that was it. Those were your other two matches. So, so, and that's what I'm saying. Like you're saying green. Like green is only if they're out here talking. I think they can all they can wrestle. They, they can got a bunch of people. Them. You're you're right. Like I don't know. I I guess there are ways to protect them. And, and this I mean, first week this. showed you you put Sammy Guevara in there with Cody. That's protecting someone who has to grow. That is smart. I mean, um, and look, and let's, let's keep it real yeah. here as well. With the Guevara Cody match, Cody was made. He looked great against Guevara because of Guevara, because Sammy could wrestle. Right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Sammy I mean, definitely I definitely mean, could wrestle. I mean that. What we're doing is we're pairing talent. It was a great match for the night, but sure. But it felt big. The crowd popped heavy. What I'm saying is we're pairing talent that we're accentuating. We're accentuating their strengths and not their weaknesses. So you're putting Cody someone who's super over, and you're giving the rub to Sammy Guerrero who can go. Yeah. So it's like, so so you're you're hiding weaknesses, you're exposing talent, which is kind of what NXT does because guys like Ricochet didn't talk. So you're hiding. I mean, they made him front flip against the dream. But no, yeah, they, and they incentivized it. That's all you yeah. needed. And, and yeah. NXT's never really been a promo-heavy show. No. Backstage, so, not pre-tape, like you said. So it's um, like a lot of those guys that you're talking about, like Velveteen Dream was green. And look at them. Like, yeah. all, I mean, if you put them in the... But that was the purpose of NXT. And, like, they grew. Now, was, NXT it, no longer has that luxury. So it's not like I'm just picking on AEW. Like, you can't parade fucking... Uh, what is what's the chick who's been Aaliyah on television really anymore? Like they lost that luxury too. I don't want to see Shit. uh they ain't gonna stop. What is the name of the blonde guy? Kona Reeves. Ugh. They like, won't stop with him. <laughs> I don't I know they won't. They're trying to the, him and the forgotten sons, they're pushing them down our throats. But I mean, it's going to be hard for those guys. Now it's sink or swim time. So they're gonna give them some time and some space. But it's really sink or swim time for those guys because again, it's you're just throwing these guys in. Listen, they are they're they're green. It's not to say they can't succeed. You can't succeed. They're going to be green, and sooner or later, you got to hang your hat on these guys for more than just you know what they do well, which is wrestling segments. Um, I'm guessing also there's no DQs in AEW. This is New Japan rules. Moxie <laughs> came out there. <laughs> Moxie came out there. Grab got a hold of um <laughs> Kenny Omega. He got a hold of Omega, <laughs> beat him up. The referee was just like, whatever. He took this fool to the VIP area and then proceeded to put the dirty deeds through a goddamn glass table. And the referee was like, I don't give a fuck. Keep this thing going. And you know what? Like, they'll have to, I think they're going to have to fix that one. Um, <laughs> you can't do that every week. It was funny, though. And, and Moxley just picks the right times to show up. The man is a professional, he knows what he's doing. Um, 
But, you know, I think the match itself was still good. I think Jericho hitting the code breaker while they were trying to do the Meltzer driver was fantastic. Um, and you know what? And I said this before. I think I said in our group chat, Jericho can't be the heel champion without some guys to protect him. And if you're putting him with LAX, Sammy Guevara, and Jake Hager, who made his debut at the end, and a lot of people are like, he's not a top guy. No, I'm not expecting him to be a top guy. I'm expecting him to be a hand. So you put that man in there as well. I think you got a, a decent little faction. They're not it's not NWO level, but no. I think you got something to protect. It's a uh, very Jer- ra- it's a very random collective. Like it makes no rhyme or reason why LAX and Jericho are in a tandem, but it works. It works good enough. Yeah, so I'm here for it. Like, so I'm interested to see how weekly works moving forward. Um, and that's in I th- like I said, the thing outside with you mostly is how they handle weekly. I'm not worried about the talent. I'm hurried, worried about how they handle weekly and doing bullshit segments like they did with Jalen Shout Bob, which made no sense. Yeah, and you know, I give them huge credit um, for doing something NXT kind of tried to do, but it fell flat because um, it wasn't on television yet with that big brawl um, that they had. I think, like, I don't know. King of Bros was in it, Damo was in it. I don't know. It was some brawl. It was on the network, though. But the run ins and everything at the end of AEW, to me, as someone watching for the first time, what they established with that whole end scene was these are the clear-cut heels that you should dislike. These are the clear-cut baby faces that you should cheer for. Yeah. So for no one, for a true introduction, people at least know these are the five bad guys and these are the five good guys. Now let's go from there. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, I think they did well. Again, their first show, I think... Everything they could have possibly done right, they nailed. There's a few things still need to be fixed, but I think they overall had a good show. Both shows knocked it out the park. I'll tell you that much. NXT and AEW, for what the stakes were for the expectations, both delivered. And can't wait until next week. So that's the highest compliment we can give them. Um, Let's talk about some good old sports entertainment. And pretty much we're going to talk about Hell in a Cell, which only has three matches right now. <laughs> the shit's like, on Sunday. Fuck? has three matches. We can't even preview it. We're two days away, three days away. has three matches. Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns versus Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. All right. Um, <laughs> Roman Reigns isn't going to lose, but I feel like it's still early for Rowan to lose. I don't yeah, know. I feel like Rowan – like, I'll just say this. I don't think Rowan and Harper should lose this match. If you're going to try to give them any momentum – Daniel Bryan can afford to take the pin. That's fair. Uh, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks in Hell in a Cell. Uh, really you know, like it. yeah, really, I like this match, but it feels still very early in this feud, like really early. So it leads me to believe, like I, I know you know they like to flip flop titles, but I think Becky might retain here. That's I, fair. I don't, I don't mind you know, that because I don't want this. I, I think I don't know how she'll retain, but I think they need to extend this feud longer like it can't end here because this is the feud that has the most there's no other feud for becky right now that's going to make any damn sense that people are going to care about unless oscar comes back send her to nxt but unless oscar comes back and starts wrecking shot nothing else makes sense so extend this feud i guess becky could go over and then sasha just beats the shit out of her after the match or something what if i tell you sasha banks wins the title and it's because ronda rousey comes back and beats the shit out of becky lynch uh i could see that I could, I, I mean, I could see that. I wouldn't be necessarily surprised by that. Yeah, I am. That's gonna be my call. Ronda comes back, beats the shit out Becky Lynch, 
and we have Ronda Becky feuding. Sasha will be the champion. And somehow between now and Survivor Series, the four horsewomen of WWE or NXT will find a way to put their grudge aside for one night to take on Ronda and her group, which is now no. up with her. <laughs> this is the one I'll disagree with because Marina Shafir and Jessamyn Duke are not ready. They're never going to be ready, ready, but they only signed for one match, Trey. They've, they've been collecting yeah. a check for a year and a half for one match, and you, yeah. you only got Ronda for small spurts at a time. You better cash it. You know, I don't care about this because it'll, it'll take – they're good enough to, to tap. That's all they're going to do. They're going to catch a disarmor and tap. And Ronda's going to be one on three. Like, it'll be Ronda and Shayna for a second. And then Ronda, like, Shayna will eliminate Bailey. Tark. Here's, and, the, here's <laughs> why. I'm going to give you why this won't work. Why? This won't work because you have to get there in like a month, right? Because Survivor Series is like next month. So you have to get there and have everybody put their differences aside in a month. And then the match and ends, half. and then everybody has to break up and start fighting all over again. Yeah, Fuck that. I don't want none of it. No, no, I'm good. No, no thanks. No. It's WWE main roster. Don't be surprised. Um, and then Rollins versus The Fiend, who he can't even look like, and he screeches like a little girl when he gets next to Um, The Fiend beats the shit out of him. Rollins puts up a fight. The Fiend no-sells everything. Fiend beats the shit out of him. And decides not to take the pin and that he just wants chaos and Rollins is left with the belt. I got nothing better, man. I know it's shitty. I don't, I don't got nothing better. I got one for you. Um, almost likely scenario that, that you're the same scenario that you're saying, but we get maybe The Undertaker. I haven't, I, I'm picked, this is a hell of a sell, but I'm, I'm having a sensing a no contest in this match. Because I agree. Some shenanigans. Some kind, of, and the only shenanigans that make sense is the Undertaker drags that fool under the ring, and then he disappears. And Rollins is just like, "Oh shit, I still got the belt." The Undertaker, Kane, somebody, somebody has to get involved in this match, and keep why keep the fiend strong by beating the shit out of Rollins, and somehow keep Rollins strong. So it has to happen quick, or I don't know. But dude, nobody can lose this match. It's just. It, it doesn't feel good if Rollins just goes out there. He just beat Brock, uh, Brock Lesnar twice this year and Braun Strowman and just have him get crushed by The Fiend doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I'd be damned if he beats The Fiend clean. That'd be stupid. Yeah, just go ahead and throw the shovel on him. It'd be stupid. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, other thing, Raw, which we can't, we can't glance over. This is the only thing we got to talk about from Raw. Is Raw is half porno, half sports entertainment. Oh, man. Cause we had a cuckold black section at the end. <laughs> yes, Black Raw sponsored the final fifteen minutes of Monday Night Raw because we had Lana coming out while Rusev was in the ring for his title shot, and she came out with Bobby Lashley, the returning Bobby Lashley, and got some tongue and some feels. Lashley might have took a squeeze of the cheeks. Said it tasted was, like strawberries. This was so bad. It was, and then somehow the fiend attacked in the middle of all of this. And yeah, then King Corbin was that. on stage. <laughs> like so much <laughs> stuff was happening. So Orton and Corbin's on stage. Lashley comes back. Then Lana comes back out of fucking blue. That has nothing to do with Lashley. And then Rusev is in the ring. And then Lana and Lashley make out while Seth is watching this in disbelief. And he gets attacked by the fiend. It, All it was four a, minutes. No, it was a horrible end to Raw. I don't even want to talk about it. It was bad. 
It was that shit. Yeah, he's a cuckold, though. He was, was definitely cuckolded. My God, that was bad. <laughs> no, that shit was crazy. Yeah, so I don't know, man. Raw is losing their mind. Um, stay on a wrestling tip, but transition into boxing. Some you put together. Big E. And this is a story I want to get. Spence Porter was last weekend. One hell of a fight. We'll talk about the fight here in a second. But first, you pulled it off. It was a wild week. You kept it on the wraps. You teased people on this very here podcast. Like, listen, when you see it, you're going to know it's me. And it, it worked like a charm. Big E out there giving the New Day style entrance to Sean Porter. And all the, the marks online and on Twitter lost their shit because Big E was on a Fox Fate review for boxing. And, man, it was it was good. And people gave Fox a ton of credit because of WWE moving. It's great to see so many people rushing to the to the threads and be like, nah, this is Andreas Hell. He put this together. Like, don't give Fox the credit. And it, it worked, man. It was dope. Yeah, so I guess I'll tell the story how this all came together. I was going to tell it on Twitter. I just didn't feel like it because I didn't feel like typing all that shit. And it was my day off, so I needed to relax. But I'll talk about it here. Um... So, yeah, so about, well, I met Big E a while ago, and um, I guess, you know, a lot of, enough people, Big E's a friend of mine. We become friends over boxing and MMA and hip-hop, strangely enough. Um, he's a big combat sports fan. Uh, we met around Wale Mania when I was doing the piece on Wale Mania, and we've stayed in touch. And I knew Big E was a big boxing fan. We talked about fights, and uh, I was trying, you know, I interviewed Sean Porter. Uh, some of you guys may have saw I went and shadowed him uh, when he was at the Fox studio. I did a big piece on him for Sporting News. In the midst of this piece, as people know, I've been very adamant about finding ways to tell fighter stories and crossing and bridging gaps that I believe should be easier to bridge. So the original idea, if anybody had seen the picture, was to have Royce the 5'9 walk out Sean Porter. I connected Royce with Sean. Uh, they hit it off. They were cool, but schedules didn't necessarily work out to make it work. Um, there were some other plans in there that I can't reveal because we're probably going to use them later. What song would it have been? A new song. Okay. Um, and that's all I can say. It would have been something <laughs> new. Uh, but yeah, the schedules, it just didn't work out scheduling wise. Um, so Fox, when I pitched the idea about Big E, Fox, PBC, and WWE, acted like they were completely clueless on a connection of why this makes sense. And I was like, and the way I pitched it was, I was like, look, you have Porter versus Spence on pay-per-view on Fox. Six days later in the same goddamn building, you're debuting SmackDown on Fox. Why have you guys not thought of this yet? And this is where I'm telling you guys, because I've worked for corporate jobs and Kel now also works at a corporate job at ESPN. There's so much shit that you think makes sense that so many people are so busy in meetings and shit that it goes right over their head. And they were like, oh, like nobody thought about it. Because I, I asked, I was like, so you guys going to have any, you know, WWE talent? No. Why? You're premiering the damn show the same week. There's nothing happening. You're not doing anything in the fight weekend because SmackDown was on Tuesday. So the guys have basically a week off. Nobody thought about it. At the same time. Nobody thought about it because so they didn't want to jump to it. So what I did is I met Sean at his gym uh, about a, two weeks ago, and I showed him the, the entrance to the New Day, and I showed him Big E. He sat there, talked to his dad. He was like, I need that. So uh, I called Big E, said, hey, man, you free? Said he was free, wanted to do it. We had a very significant hurdle to, to get over. Sean was going to pay for his flight, get him out here, take care of all that stuff. 
Um, and it even worked for Sean because if anybody knows Sean Porter, he's, he's very Christian. So when he saw the interest, it just felt right. If you, if you notice, he came out to Mary Mary and transitioned to Victory Lab, Nipsey Hussle. So this was perfect. The hurdle was the New Day had a signing in Freeland, New Jersey at 8 a.m. Sunday morning, which meant he had to catch a red eye leaving the arena to get – there was only one flight on United. One flight that would get him there in time. And even still, it was like a 40-minute drive from the airport in Newark to Freeland, New Jersey. So we were, we were panicking. We were like, all right, so we got to get this. So we got the flight. Um, I kept it a secret. Uh, and I, I, I kept the secret all the way up until the end because we were still unsure because there was pushback because Fox wasn't a big fan of walkouts. So we were, I had to convince them that this shit makes sense. You need to do this. So Biggie flew out on Thursday. Thursday night, uh, had him at the weigh-in Friday morning. So many people were surprised to see him there. I ended up actually being like his publicist in a strange way because everybody was asking for interviews, and they asked me because I happened to be with him. So now I'm like on the PR side of things, granting interviews for this dude. Um, We do rehearsal Friday morning. uh, Saturday morning we do rehearsal. He connects with Sean. They talk. They figure it all out. Does rehearsals Saturday morning. Interestingly enough, for those of you who watch the fight, John Connor, who used to be on Aftermath, who's from Flint, Michigan, was walking out the rail. So they met. So we all had like this big powwow. Did the rehearsal. Biggie goes to this hotel. He gets his bag um, and he comes to the arena and the uh, his flight is at 1115. Now, if you've been in L.A., you know how terrible LAX traffic is. So Fox is telling us the fight's going to start at eight. I'm saying ain't no way in hell this fight started at eight because I've been to way too many <laughs> of these pay-per-views. It's just not going to happen. So I'm looking at the car, and I'm like, maybe 830 is feasible. So 830 comes along. Benavidez and, and Durrell are still fighting. So now we're panicking because Biggie has to make this sign. He's a professional. He didn't want to let these kids down. He has to make this happen. Fight ends. Durrell gets beat up. Benavidez is there. Now, is there, now if anybody watches the Durrell Benavidez fight, when Benavidez was pummeling Durrell, Durrell's corner jumped up on the ropes and was trying to get the referee's attention, was slapping the rope. They ended up breaking the rope. <laughs> so so I'm aghast I'm in my seat media row just freaking out I'm, I'm not even freaking out I'm just like because at this point I'm numb to this shit so I was just like yo are you fucking serious so I get up and I go to the side see Biggie in the tunnel and um, you know we're looking and Biggie's texting me and he's like yo a fucking rope is going to ruin this thing because they had to fix the rope which is why the fight started later than it did so they didn't end up doing ring walks until 9.15 so the original plan was for Biggie to stay there and watch the fight because he's never been to a fight before. So what ends up happening is Biggie does the New Day entrance, turns, runs through the tunnel, grabs his bag, gets an Uber, barely makes his flight, ends up flying with Jim Jones and uh, first class and makes it to the signing the next morning and does the signing and sends me a video of him doing the signing. Unbelievable professional. You guys saw it. But yeah, the moment people were just like, yo, Fox, Fox had nothing to do with that shit. If, there are a few times where my ego will be like, yo, fuck that. This was one of them. <laughs> I put that shit together. I connected Biggie with Sean Porter. It was my idea to have Biggie do the interest because he was like, what are we going to do? And I was like, this. This is what we're going to do. And then he'll walk out to Mary Mary because Sean really wanted to do Mary Mary. Me and Biggie were like, Mary Mary for a fight? Whatever. That's what he wanted to do, so it worked. And then if y'all watch the intro, we did rehearsal. And when, the, when they did the walkout, somebody – started mary mary's music too early so biggie's doing his entrance 
over Mary Mary. And then somebody freaked out, hit the, the mute button right when he said Sean Porter's name. So it, it was just a lot of stuff there. <laughs> and, dog, that shit stressed me out in terms, like, just stressed me out in terms of like, dog, this shit ain't gonna happen. Like I kept telling Big E, I was like, we can't say nothing because we're not at the finish line yet. Every time we got close to the finish line, it was like something else happened. That rope broke. We had to make sure we got rehearsals. Then it was like, I know not enough people listen to this shit, so I don't care. They didn't even have tickets for Biggie to watch the fight. They were trying to figure that out. So they put a, they took a chair from, I think, Media Row and just put it next to the ring. So if Biggie wanted to watch the fight, he'd basically be in Sean's corner. <laughs> it, yeah. Man, it was unbelievable, but that is the story in a nutshell. There was a bunch of other stuff that I'm not going to talk about because that stuff I can't talk about. But that's how we got Biggie to walk out Sean Porter in the main event of Spence Porter pay-per-view. And then I think you may see it on Fox. Um, there is a segment with Keith Thurman and Big E that you'll see, and I think it's pretty fun. Man, that's crazy. But it's so dope to just think, like, no one else thinks of pro wrestling like that. Granted, they just signed a huge pro wrestling deal. So it took Andreas Hale to put two things together that should have been so easy to think about. To make perfect sense. Yeah, but so no. No, no, one, no one thinks about this. So, uh, man, that was dope. The fight delivered on its end, too. So Sean gets in there, Porter gets in there, and Porter's a huge underdog for no reason because I didn't think he was going to win, but Sean's that tier right underneath the elite guys, so I didn't think he deserved to be a huge underdog like he was coming into the fight, Um, and he proved that in the ring. A lot of people had him winning going into those final two rounds, and then Spence kind of put his foot on the gas, got the knockdown in the 11th, and won the 12th, I think, on pretty much everyone's card to solidify it in the championship rounds. But before then, some people had Spence up, or excuse me, had Porter up 6-4, 7-3 before then. Like, the, the yeah. cards were all over the place. It was that close of a fight. Um, CompuBox didn't see it that way. And uh, this is my first fight, having ESPN stats and info. At my disposal. So I had a whole stats and info crew I could ask any questions to. And they just magically appeared with numbers. The shit's amazing. And so that helped me see the fight even a little clearer. So I could see how Spence was getting the nod on a lot of cards. But damn, it was close. Yeah, I mean, I said it I said it last week. I said it when this fight was made. I was like, we have never seen Sean Porter deal with somebody that's going to be in, in his face for 12 rounds. Errol I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. Errol Spence has never been in there with somebody like Sean Porter. I said that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I said I thought Spence would win because of his boxing pedigree, but I wouldn't be surprised if Porter could get close enough to pull up the upset. And that's exactly what he did. He got in his face from the opening rounds. Um, the first round was a little tedious, but then Sean just was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go. And Errol being so much committed to the knockout, was he was gunning for it. He was trying to catch Sean coming in with that left hand. He finally caught him in the 11th round with that short left because he knows that Sean kind of drops his head in when he comes in. He caught him with that left hand. But, Doug, this was like a fight of the year. It was in my row. It was me, Steve Kim, Dan Raphael, and Doug Fisher. And we were, like, just blown away because we were trying to compare our scorecards. So we were all relatively A lot of ESPN guys there. You sure you're not coming over this way? Joining the squad? Nah, ain't nobody telling you. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, like what you said, I had it even going into the 11th round. I think Doug Fisher actually had Sean up. And Dan and Steve may have had it even as well. And then that knockdown happened. And that was it. Changed the entire dynamic of the fight. 
That fight was that close. And this is one of those fights, and I don't say this often, but there was no loser in this fight. Sean gained more in this fight because people thought he was going to get washed. And he stood toe-to-toe with arguably one of the best fighters in the world. And there's a weird argument that's been made is that Errol Spence got exposed, and that is absolute bullshit. No. Because there is, there is no fighter in the 147-pound division that can put up that pace to give Spence that kind of a problem. Then the weird shit happened, because we're going to talk about Errol Spence's next opponent, Danny Garcia. Danny the- Garcia storms, storms the ring. Errol, I don't even think Errol Spence knew what the fuck was going on. Like Somehow he went from Pacquiao to Danny Garcia storming the ring, um, which gives me hope, because the Pacquiao fight didn't work either after they had Pacquiao come in the ring. No, this, the, I'll tell you this. The Spence Garcia is done. That's yeah, I... I I may have seen a date or two float across it. January 25th. There you go. Well, listen, man. You you say it. I'm new at the job. I I'm not giving out inside info. You you're you're secure. So um, I may have seen an email stating that as well. So you you look at that. It's a done deal. I I don't know what Danny Garcia has done to deserve it. To me, he beat up two mediocre fighters after losing to Sean Porter, who just put up a better fight. So I'm not sure what they gain off of this. Maybe they're just buying time for Errol Spence. But to me, he doesn't have a lot of time at 147. Pacquiao doesn't have a lot of time in general. If you give Pacquiao Mikey Garcia, technically he should win. But then again, Mikey's so damn talented that you never know. You don't want Mikey to adjust to 147. Spence caught him when he had no business being at 147. If Mikey has a year to grow into that body to get acclimated, that shit could be a whole different fighter. So if Pacquiao's looking at that and thinking he's just going to defend the title against Mike Garcia and have a cakewalk, I don't think that's going to be the case either. So every fight you don't fight Pacquiao is is a mistake to me. Every time you don't try to build towards uh, Terrence Crawford fight is a mistake, one. But if, if for any reason you don't want that in your grand scheme of things, then 154 has to be the the plan and you have to go after like a charlo or something i don't know so you you have to go or j-rock who i know is on the table for them this just seems like a wasted fight when you're trying to build a megastar which his pay-per-view number says at least that he's a star right now so okay so there's a couple things one pacquiao and freddie roach don't want to fight Errol spence i don't care there's enough money pacquiao do whatever the hell you want for money Mm, no he won't what you boy if if they did when pacquiao entered the ring the first time they would have made the fight they did so he won't do anything sean gibbons freddie roach and manny pacquiao don't really want this fight reason being is errol's really big errol's pretty big puncher and if if manny loses it's the end of his career you can kind of extend his career with a Mikey Garcia fight. Two guys who shouldn't be fighting at 147, who should be fighting at 140, fighting at welterweight for a welterweight title. You can do that. So unless they throw a lot of money on the table, like more, like just a ton of money, that fight's not happening in the near future. Two, I don't necessarily have a problem with the Danny Garcia fight. I have a problem with Danny Garcia getting in the ring. Because, look, Danny Garcia was the WBC champion. He fought a close fight with Sean Porter. He fought a close fight with Keith Thurman. Um, everybody knows I'm not the biggest Danny Garcia fan, but he's, he's a good welterweight. I think 
Errol Spence, I don't, I said take it to the cleaners, but I don't think Errol has much of a hard time with him. But you use that as a last-ditch effort after you position it as, oh, we couldn't get the fight with Pacquiao made. Oh, we couldn't make, get the fight with Bud made. So here's Danny Garcia. Or a rematch with Porter, which I would prefer. They, but, in, but instead, you're saying, we're not even going to try with Pacquiao or Crawford, and we're just going to throw him in there. That's the problem I have with that fight. Because you didn't make it look like you even tried. Because Danny's not a bad opponent. And it took, for a, it took the air out of that stadium. It did, because everybody was like, what the hell is he doing here? Yeah. It and, ended and, on a sour it, note. So it's like, you didn't have to do that because people don't care until like it's time to make that announcement. Because it's January 25th. It's a quick turnaround for Arrow. And Danny's you know, been waiting for this fight. And obviously, that's why you had him do commentary. Like You did all the things to set it up. He just didn't need to get in the ring, dog. Like That's not the fight people necessarily want to see, but we'll accept it. On January 25th, we'll be like, oh, all right, Danny's a pretty good fighter. But yeah. positioning that just did us no favors. I'm a little curious. Where does, where does Sean Porter go from here? That's a good question. Um, I don't know who Porter fights. Does he just wait? Sean's not one to wait. No, he's not one to wait. I mean, look. I, I've, I've, been, heard, I've, been, I've been of the opinion that if you're going to send someone over to play ball with the other side, and Terrence Crawford... Sean should be the guy because he's the guy that's awkward enough that might fuck around and pull an upset. I agree 100%. And Sean would absolutely take that fight. Oh, yeah. I just think Sean would fight anyone. The politics are messy for that fight. I don't know who, you know, I don't know how they position this fight. He's a clear, Sean, uh, and I hate saying this because he took a very good split against Spence. But to me, he's a clear B-side fighter. He would be okay taking the B-side to a Terrence Crawford because he thinks he's going to go in there and whoop his ass. Yeah, I mean, he is the B-side. He doesn't have the title. Like, Terrence is the champion going in that fight. So that, that all makes sense. I just don't know the messy politics if it'll get done. But that's the guy who should fight Crawford next. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, I don't really don't know where Sean goes. Because the Keith Thurman's on the shelf with a hand injury. And I keep, I'll maintain my position that when Keith comes back, he should fight Adrian Broner. And then other than that, I mean, you don't want to see Porter fight Ugas again. I really personally think that Porter should fight should have fought Errol Spence again. I don't see anybody else at 147 that makes sense. Yeah, but I, I think they had uh, I think they had Danny already in the works and didn't expect a close fight like it was. That's exactly what happened. So I think Danny already signed on the dotted line and they were like, fuck, we got a close fight that we should run back. But we already got Danny signed. We got Danny here waiting to come in the ring. We just kind of got to go with it. Yeah, it's whack. I mean, the way they played it was whack. Like I said, I'm not mad at the yeah. fight. I'm mad at how they played it. It so. makes more sense for Danny to take someone to build on than it does for Porter to go back down and do the same. Exactly. While biding time. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know what Porter does. But as long as he can pick up a couple wins, he'll be right back in the circle. So yeah. that's the good thing for him. It's, he's proven himself at a pay-per-view level. Where the stars and lights were on him, he proved how good he was. The opportunities will keep coming. Yeah, and the frightening thing is with Sean, is his, he he's got the, like the best resume out of all those guys. Win or lose, yep. The man is, he never gets washed in a fight. Like his losses have all been fights that people were like, ah, he could have won that one. Keith Thurman, yeah, a lot of people thought he won. Kell Brook, a lot of people thought he won that fight. The Spence fight, I thought. Spence won, but I could see people making an argument about how close it was. But it's like, damn, technically, you could fight Kell Brook again and run it back, try to get that loss. Ugh. 
Um, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, guess you could. Avenge the loss. Why not? I guess you could, but we'll see where Kell Brook goes from here. But, there, I mean, dude, boxes, again, boxes is a good spot. And if the pay-per-view numbers are what they're estimating at over 300000 that's a win for everybody because nobody expected that. No. And that puts him, you know, Errol Spence, that is, in star level. Now, yeah. I don't think Danny's the one to build upon that star. But, listen, we'll, we'll see what comes after. He has to still be Danny, who's a capable fighter. So now another, you know, stiff test to me is just a fight with a lot of risk, little reward. And I'm yeah. not sure if he's in the market to do that. Like, at this point, just go big risk. You got to risk it to get the biscuit, and they're not doing it. Um, fight this weekend, Triple G at MSG. I am here in New York right now. I'm just going to be hovering around that fight uh, because I am not yet covering live events. I'm still, quote-unquote, in my training. And I'm shadowing our MMA team from afar who is in Australia, which uh, we'll talk about that fight here in a second. So I'm just getting, like, fight night procedures and stuff down like that. But I'm around the fight. Came down, check out the atmosphere at MSG, uh, see if I can get into... I'm sure I can get into wherever the hell I want, but I'll probably go check out uh, the weigh-ins tomorrow and so on and so forth. But to me, Triple G is in an odd space where Canelo has, like you said numerous times, no intent on fighting him. And now he has to be wildly impressive every time out to even get a sniff of a fight from Canelo. So I think he's in a weird position where you got to get a knockout and you have to get a really good knockout. See, I, and I, I kind of disagree with that because I think the stronger that Golovkin looks, the less that Canelo wants to take that fight. Hmm. Because, again, Canelo's not in a position where he's being forced to take the fight because if he doesn't take the fight, he won't get the money. He's already got the money. He's already got the bag. So there's no reason for him to look at Golovkin looking good and be like, yeah, I'm going to fight him again. I, I just don't see that happening. The funny thing is this fight with Derevchenko, um, which is on the zone, so full disclosure – that everybody knows I work for the zone. This undercard is trash. So I'm just going to put that out there as well. We have a terrible undercard for this, for this fight. Surprised you're not so out I, here, though. Because the undercard is trash. And, I, and you know, my, my managing editor is going to be there. And I need some time off because things are about to pick up in about a month. Oh, yeah. Um, but this particular – and then plus, on top of that, Gennady and Derevchenko are not very good interview subjects. So I wasn't going to get a lot of pre-fight stuff done. Um. But it's a fight where Derevchenko had a tough fight with Danny Jacobs. And uh, Danny Jacobs is obviously the guy that a lot of people thought really actually beat Triple G when Canelo did not. So people are doing boxing math and saying, like, this is a tough fight. Could be true because the technician, Derevchenko, has has an Eastern European style, but he's smart and tactical. The issue is this, is that Jacobs and Derevchenko had a tough fight because they were sparring partners who both have Andre Rozier in their corner. So it's kind of hard to fight a guy that you sparred with because you know what everything is going to do. So I think in Danny's case, he may have taken his foot off the gas a little bit in that fight. I don't think that Triple G is going to do the same thing. I think Triple G is of your mindset. If I beat the shit out of people, I'm going to get the fight. So I don't think he's going to try not to waste any time with Derevchenko. We're going to find out how good Derevchenko is. The guy was undefeated heading into the Jacobs fight. He had really not fought anybody up until that point. But now he's fighting Gennady Golovkin, who is 37, but Derevchenko is 32. And people are um, playing this, oh, Triple G's on the decline narrative. I, I went back and watched that Canelo, the second Canelo fight the other day. I had him up three rounds now. Like, 
I'm just saying, two like, rounds, have... three rounds, like that wasn't even particularly close, and it was a loss for Gennady. I I thought he won that fight. It, it's crazy. Like I said, I've said it many times. I thought Golovkin won both fights. I did. I had Gennady winning both fights. Even though I thought Canelo fought an excellent second fight, I think the closest I had it was a draw. Like I think I flipped. I could have flipped around and said it was a draw. But I had Gennady winning both fights. So anybody who says that about Triple G, I think it's a false narrative. I think it's bullshit. And I think people are going to see it this weekend. But again, people are going to look at Derevchenko as a guy who should get knocked out when he's not. He's actually a really good fighter. So if he ends up taking Gennady like nine, ten rounds or even the distance, people are going to say Gennady's washed up. And I think that's the worst thing you can do is underestimate Gennady Golovkin. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, it's a tough opponent. But I feel like he has to go in there hunting for the highlight KO. Because, honestly, he's had tough fights. They haven't been plenty as they were when he was coming up and fighting a bunch of people who weren't his caliber. So those those highlight knockouts aren't coming like they used to. And I feel like he needs that to kind of put pressure on Canelo again um, and kind of take it out of Canelo and Golden Boy's hands. It's tough, man. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, Gennady's, I'm not going to say him and Errol are the same guy, but it's like people that said Errol got exposed are just as ridiculous as saying Canelo's getting old. And I mean, Canelo is getting old. I mean, Triple G's is getting old, but he's not getting exposed. People will say that dumb shit, and that means you need to watch more boxing. So I think Gennady's going to, I think Gennady's going to stop Derevchenko late. Um, I just think he's going to catch his ass along those ropes. And it'll be one of them them weird arcing right hands he's gonna catch right on the fucking temple. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I think that's the consensus. I'm picking the same thing, Gennady, late stoppage. Um, I think it'll be really good for him if he can get him out in the first three or four rounds. Cause to me that's shocking, because this is a good opponent. Yeah. But I, I, agree. I think it goes late. Um but yeah, I think he gets the stoppage and we'll see. It could be a dog fight. It could, could be, be like we saw last week where people were like, oh no, like Derechenko is really fucking good. And he's pushing Triple G. So we, we can definitely see that as well. Um, MMA, to close out the show real quick, Bellator had a card last weekend that you were kind of running back and forth from. But I'm sure yeah. you watched. Uh, one of the storylines that stuck out to me is the McKee father and son picked up the win. I mean, listen, we all knew AJ McKee was a savage, but his dad, man. AJ McKee's dad is no joke. AJ McKee, though, knocked the dude out in smooth six seconds. Yeah, yeah, eight, technically. It was eight, eight I think. The, yeah, the ref, whatever the, it was. Ref, the ref was leaning on those last two. The guy was out yeah. already. But, yeah, I mean, dude, it was the start of the featherweight tournament. Yeah, the McKees won first time a father-son combination was on the same card. Um, Yeah, I mean. Has that been done I in boxing? I don't think so, man. I don't think I, it's – I've never seen it in MMA. And I can't remember it in boxing either. You know, you would think, like, Chavez and Chavez Jr. weren't around long enough. My only thing would be Mosley and his son. Ooh, I, I think, think I think they, did that I happen think on my card? card? Yeah, I, that's the only time I'm I'm thinking. I wish I could hit up stats and information right now. I probably could if I had my other laptop open and they would tell me. Um, but I think that's the only other time I, I've seen it was Mosley and his son. Yeah, yeah. So you know that was and Mosley, uh, the older Mosley, lost, I believe. So it's not two wins. If, if it was a Mayorga card, Mosley won. He knocked out Mayorga. But no, I think what happened was something happened with Shane Jr. and he had to be pulled from that card. Because I was at that fight. It was at the forum. I think something happened and Shane Jr. had to be pulled from that card. 
can't remember what. I have to look it up, and I'm not going to. So, <laughs> so that's what happened there. Uh, we can talk about the wrestling card. Musashi gets the win against uh, Machida. Um, Nip Tuck fight kind of went the way I expected it to. Uh, there's been talk about Musashi going for like heavyweight challenge of Bader. Oh no. Um, whatever. Uh, Pitbull beating Archuleta. Pitbull remains champ. We have the next round. Darren Caldwell won this fight. Featherweight Grand Prix shaping up real nice. Got some nice talent in there. Personally, I think AJ McKee's going to run away with this shit. We'll see. No, yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, McKee goes to the finals. We'll see how it shakes out. It'd be great to see him as a champion. I mean, I want at least one of their prospects to pan out. I know, right? And try to all these guys. Like it was everybody kept saying Aaron Pico. Aaron Pico, Ed Ruth, a lot of those MVP. Then they had such a good class though. Like they signed yeah. those like high level wrestlers and you were like, yo, this is it. This is the Bellator like homegrown turnaround. And it, it just worked. didn't work. <laughs> Not yet. And so again, a lot of these guys one. are young. Pico's young. Yeah. Shit can yeah. turn around. But man, it hasn't gone their way yet. Um I looked it up. It was the Mayorga card. For Mosley and his son, his son had to pull out of the car. Nah, duh, okay. So uh, memories, my memory is still decent. Yes, yes, you're not that old of an old man. So uh, yeah, I guess it hasn't happened in boxing. And then Musasi beats Machida. Not surprised. Nah, Machida's old. Musasi still got a little bit left. Unintentionally hilarious though. His post-fight pre- interviews were amazing. We talked about he had nipples hard. Like, he was talking about the Lovato fight, and Lovato was juiced to the gills, and he had nipples hard, and he could feed babies. Musashi's unintentionally hilarious, and he's now embracing it. If anybody's seen the clip of him, god damn it, who was he with? Playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game on Nintendo. It is hilarious. You have to find it. Oh, yeah. He's a. Uh, oh, what is that journalist's name? He does really dope videos. He was at Fan Sided before I got there. I'll think about it. Um, But yeah, so I'm trying to look it up right now and figure out who the hell did it. I feel like it's James. It's it's James. I I can't remember his last name because it's like James Lynch. There we go. James Lynch. Thank you. Uh, That would that would have bugged me. But yeah, no. So he does dope stuff. Musashi is funny. He's he's funny because what he says is the truth. Uh, and he was just deadpan. He was dead ass serious about that. Yo, he said, how are you going to celebrate? He was like, crack cocaine. I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, his delivery is hilarious. It's like when you were uh, you were telling me in the group chat about the crazy British comedy that you're watching. Oh, Fleabag. Fleabag. Oh, Fleabag. I can't and, believe I haven't watched this shit. And awesome it's like man. different type of comedy. Like, I feel like Musashi just delivers shit out of the blue like that. Yep, straight from the hip. Straight from the hip. All right, so we got one more thing to talk about. I got to get the hell out of here. Yeah, so do I. Um, it is late for me. It's still at least middle of the day for you. Um, we have UFC 243 in Australia this Saturday. Uh, we'll just look at the main card because the undercard no. doesn't really have much on it. No, we're going to look at the main event and the co-main event because the main card doesn't have much on it either. No, we have Tai Tuivasa. Which is cool, okay. which is expected. Not that that's like a, a huge fight. Uh, Holly Holm, Raquel Pennington was canceled. That was supposed yep. to be on here. So, uh, yeah, co-main and main event. Co-main, Al Quinta versus Dan Hooker. I expect Al Quinta to win. I do not. Oh, shit. Okay. I think Dan Hooker's the real deal. 
Dan Hooker is not only he's the, is he the real deal in my opinion. I think Al is a great fighter. Don't get me wrong, but I think Dan fighting in Australia on he's on you know his the main event is his teammate Israel Adesanya. Dan, I think there's going to be so much juice behind this dude, and and Dan is just he's a great fighter, and I think he's just really coming into his own, and he's got heavy hands, good submissions. I think he finds a way to win this fight. I can't. I believe it's coming off the Cerrone loss. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, coming yeah. off the Cerrone loss. So you know he needs to win, but I think hostile territory because you're going to be at Marvel Stadium in Australia with all these screaming fans. Pick a hooker to win this fight. See, that's tough. Uh, Hooker's resume just doesn't stand out to me. Gilbert Burns, Jim Miller. He was KO'd by Edson Barbosa. He beat James Vick. But James Vick, I mean, at this point, everyone finds James Vick's chin. So I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a more technical fight than anything. I think goes to the cards. I think Iaquinta pulls that one out. And then main event, you know what? I, I don't even know where the fuck this is going to go. It's, it's one of the hardest fights I've had to predict. Um, the more I watch, the more I don't know who's going to win. Robert Whitaker, when he's 100% healthy, has very little holes in his game. And Adesanya is undefeated. But to me, he was pushed to the brink by Kelvin Gastelum. And Robert Whitaker does everything a little bit better than Gastelum. So I, it's so hard to pick. I'm going to go Adesanya just for the culture. Fuck it. I just <laughs> like, yeah, like on the real, like there's no technical reason. I, I just want to see some cool Avatar shit. So let's do it. So, okay. I'm picking Adesanya, but I actually have technical reasons. <laughs> well, good, because I couldn't find it. So here's a couple things. One, Robert Whitaker in the last... 20 months has fought once. Israel has finally fought six times, which tells me, obviously, Whitaker's had a problem with his health. He can't stay healthy. Yep. He's fought twice in the last 24 months, I believe. Still only 28 years old. The age is fine. The concern that I have is cage rust because of conditioning, because of the surgery, emergency surgery he had to have but when he was supposed to fight Gaslam which yeah. was the hernia and like the colon blockage. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little, I'm curious how his conditioning is going to be for five rounds. Adesanya showed us that he can go five rounds with Kelvin Gaston and then stepped on the gas in the fifth round. The other, there's, there's three things. So the second thing is the last time Robert Whitaker lost was to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson at welterweight. Immediately the thing that jumps out to a lot of people is that welterweight. That's not what jumps out to me. What jumps out to me is that Whitaker got knocked out by a fluid striker. Yeah. Not a guy who wrestles, not a guy who has throws those one-twos like Yoel Romero, like Jacare's uh, jiu-jitsu guy. He got knocked out by a fluid striker. What is Israel Adesanya? A fluid striker who uses his hands and his feet equally effective and can put combinations together. And, you know, if he, he can't get countered, but I think his kickboxing is very similar to that of Wonderboy, and that's how Whitaker got caught last time. The third thing is... Adesanya doesn't have to worry about Whitaker necessarily taking him down. This might be a largely stand-up fight where he, when he fought Gastelum, that was, I know that was in the back of Adesanya's head because Gastelum's a wrestler. Yeah. Gastelum didn't really deploy his wrestling, but it was something he had to game plan for. I'm sure Adesanya's going to think about it in this fight because I think if the going does get tough, you know, Whitaker is a decent enough wrestler to try to shoot for a takedown. But in a largely stand-up affair for five rounds, Messing with a guy who is just equally lethal with his hands as he is with his feet. And I know that Adesanya is going to be throwing kicks to the body. Unless Whitaker can get Adesanya out there cold early, I don't think that he's going to finish him off late. And I think that it's going to lead to Adesanya winning a decision. 
I just think he's a more fluid striker. There's going to be some dicey moments, but I don't. I'm not sure Bobby Knux is going to catch him. Uh, man, yeah, was, you make some good points. I mean, I forgot about that Wonder Boy fight. That is very yeah. true. Adesanya and Wonder Boy have very similar styles. I'd say Adesanya at this point is even deadlier as a finisher than Wonder Boy, but both very technical, very fluid. They don't make many mistakes as far as stand-up striking. And, yeah, Whitaker has had great, great success against stand and, and charge up and power strikers, right? People that have to, like, load up and lunge. That's not on Asanya. No, and, and, the, and the other thing is that, you know, like, you, you look at the Romero fights, right? And a lot of people thought Romero won the second fight. But when Whitaker got rocked multiple times in that fight, and it wasn't because Romero necessarily was punching to find an opening. He would, like, feint the takedown, throw the overhand right. But he would land. I think it's going to be easier for Israel Adesanya to land because I think he sets up his strikes a lot better than Romero does. I think, you know, he throws the kick to the body, he feints with the leg kick, and he goes up top with the right hand. If you look at the Brunson fight again, he just set Brunson up for all that shit. Oh, yeah, the knee, he hits question mark kicks out of nowhere. Yeah, so like, um, if Whitaker had been active, I'd probably pick Robert Whitaker. But the fact that Adesanya's fought six times and Whitaker's fought once, I don't know, man. I just don't trust. And I think Bobby Knox is an excellent fighter, but I think injuries, time away from the cage, and this kind of striker is going to give him hell. And I think we have a new unified champion. I'll give you that. Can't wait to see how it uh, turns out. It's going to be a good fight that I'm going to tune in for and also keep my eye on that Triple G fight. So that's going to be a good fight. And We'll see you next week. We get to talk about the beginning of the draft for Raw and the main roster because we'll be able to see that. We'll recap Hell in a Cell, which I'm sure will have more than three matches by the time we talk <laughs> about it next week. And we'll see what else pops up, man. It was a good show. It was a long show. Thank you guys for staying with us the whole time. Make sure you follow us on social media at The Corner LSN on all platforms. Me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. Can't wait to come back next week and chop it up even more. Thank you, but for now, we're out. Peace.